So, God made you special and he loves you very much. I'm a bit tangled up. God made you special and he loves you very much. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. That we are made by God and made for God. That we are God's handiwork. That we are God's workmanship. That we are God's masterpiece. That we are God's work of art. That is who you are. Nice to meet you. This is a bit... Oh, I don't want to break it. You get told off. So, God has made us special and he loves us very much. And he's made us on purpose for purpose. He's made us for his purpose, to fulfill his call upon our lives. And so there are specific things that we've been made for and there are general things that we can find out about who we are and what we're made for. And then there's just us being us, special and unique. It's God's design for us is that we were made in the image of God, that we were made to bear God's image, that we were made to reveal God to one another, to give other people a glimpse of what God is like. We were made in his likeness. We were made to have authority. We were made to rule. We were made with purpose and we were made for relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with other, with one another in a good, wholesome way. So, whether you're male, female, black, white, short, tall, whatever, God made you. We are equal in God's sight and God loves us and he makes no mistake. So we were designed a certain way, but the Bible talks about the fact that you know, we have an enemy and an enemy who comes in and who wants to twist God's word and distract us from God to sow lies and mistrust and deceit into our lives. When Jesus was in uh, the, the desert, in the wilderness, he was tempted by the evil one. Did God really say? And when, he, when he talks to Eve... Did God really say? So there's a question. There's a sense in which it's like, do you really need God? You can live on your own. Surely you can do this, can't you? So we can so easily get caught up with ourselves, get caught up with life is all about me, and we forget that life is about God. And what happens, we become increasingly self aware and less and less God aware. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They looked at their, themselves, they tried to find their identity and their, their definition of life with themselves. They started to withdraw from God, isolate from God. Living a life separated from God means that we will never fulfill the destiny that he has for us. In a life separated from God, we try in our own effort to prove or to validate who we are, whether it's through the work that we do or the friendships that we've got or the car that we drive or the mobile phone that we've got 
whatever. It's crazy, but we find our worth and our value in stuff and things all around us. And then there's that thing in which we can just be so aware of who we are that we hide ourselves from everyone else because we think, if you really knew me, if you really knew what I thought about, if you really knew me, then you wouldn't like me very much. And so we join Adam and Eve in the great cover-up. We realise, we're naked. We can't be truly open and honest because shame and embarrassment get into us. Don't keep your clothes on there. I just saw some people thinking, oh. And what happens is that when you see... It, it produces blame, it produces conflict. The power of the enemy is in our lives. God designed us and he made us on purpose for purpose. And yet, if we're honest, we're not really fit for purpose. Now imagine that window there, lovely window that it is. There's a reason that the window's there. You know, so we can get a bit of light, we can look through it, that we don't get cold, we can shout the rain. There's a purpose for that window. But if that window was suddenly attacked by someone with a great big sledgehammer and it smashed on, not over you, it's all right, and it smashed on the floor into pieces and it's fragmented absolutely everywhere, it's not fit for purpose. It's broken. And uh, it's a bit like us. You know, we can live fragmented lives. We're all over the place. And we can pick up a certain little bit and we can fixate on this bit of our life. We can forget all about the rest of it and we just fix on, God, would you help me here? Would you do this for me here? And, uh, and we forget that there's a big picture and there's a big God and he wants to bring healing into us. This is where I want you to use imagination. I want you to go into Disneyland, not Disneyland, what's it? Dis- yeah, Disneyland, movies. When, just imagine, there's this big broken glass, and then all of a sudden, the light comes, the light injects through all the little cracks and fragment bits, and then it all gets sucked together, and it's made perfect. It's restored. So God wants to restore us. God wants to heal us. God wants to set us free. God wants each of us to become the person that he made us to be the unique you, the unique you in Jesus Christ becoming the person that God made you to be. For the display of his splendor, for God's glory, for God's praise. So it's not like, look at me, it's all about me. But look at God, look how wonderful my God is. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. There's a world around us that is shouting its voice and we are tempted to live to the value of this world. There's an enemy that's seeking to twist the word of God over us. These voices have been shouting to us. And Paul's saying when he writes to the church, don't be like that anymore. Be renewed in your mind. Change the way you're thinking. Because the way you're thinking isn't the life you think it is. It's death to you. There's more. You need to change your thinking. You need to start agreeing with God and not with this world. 
when we start getting into God's way of thinking, we realize that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. It is there where we will experience such joy and delight because we are in the perfect will of God. But when we're living in our broken state, when we're fixated, when we're looking at the world, when we're hearing all the voices, we can think that maybe God isn't that good or that powerful or that able to do stuff or that he's will for me. You know, so many people say, well, I'd love to, I'd love to, but what if God asked me to do this? I really don't want to do this. God is going to only ask you what is ultimately good for you and good for him and good for the kingdom. And although we might need to walk through a bit of pain and discomfort at times, it's, it's the big picture, it's for our goodness and it's for the kingdom's goodness. So each of us is significant. Each of us is unique, and each of us has a special calling on our lives that only we can fulfill. No one person's calling is more important than anyone else's, but it's important for us to discover and walk in our true God-given personal design. If we're to know the fullness of God's freedom and the God's fruit in our, in our life, we need to get lined up with him. It's taken me a very long time to realise that I will make a very poor somebody else, but I will make an excellent me. We will never find our fulfilment in comparing ourselves with other people. We, when we compare ourselves to others, we either puff up with pride because we look down on them and say, oh, I'm better than them, or we shrink down into worm state and go, oh, they're so brilliant, they're awesome, I'm nothing. So we either puff ourselves up with pride or we rubbish ourselves. And if you're anything like me, it can be within the space of, well, I was going to say two minutes, probably 30 seconds. But I want to say this to you. If you knew the person God made you to be, then you wouldn't want to be anybody else. If you knew the person God made you to be, you wouldn't want to be anyone else. God knows you. God designed you. God has called you. So, we need to be those that are in humility, humbling ourselves before God, to submit to God to submit to God's opinion and to agree with him and believe his opinion, his truth, over the stuff we believe about, our, our, we believe about ourselves or what other believe people say about us or what even what we believe other people think about us. And they haven't even said a word. But we think, oh, they must be thinking this about me. We're making it all about me. James writes... Get rid of all your filth and humbly accept the word that can save you. Right? Get rid of that junk and humbly accept God's word that can save you, that can rescue, that can heal you, that can deliver you, that can set you free, that can give you freedom. See, true humility is not about believing that we are insignificant worms but it's humbly submitting to God and believing the wonderful, extraordinary things he believes about us. God has got opinions about us, and they're good opinions. 
It's not prideful to believe that we are loved, to believe that we are significant, to believe that we are gifted, to believe that we are capable, to believe that we have authority. It's true humility because we're believing or submitting or agreeing with God, whether we feel like it or not. So it's not dependent on our feelings, rather it's dependent on God's truth. You know, it is pride to constantly be thinking about me. Now, obviously, you're not going to be continually thinking about me, but you might be continually thinking about you. And that's pride, and that stops us. We need to fix our eyes on God's. We need to look to him. We need to be those that centre ourselves on God and say, the universe does not revolve around me, Lord, but about you. You are the maker. You are the designer. You are the architect. You run it. If I wasn't here, everything would still carry on without me. However, God, if you weren't where you are, we're in trouble. Ah. In living free, we'll be using the tools of teaching, God's word, God's truth, and something that's called freedom prayer. And I've heard already some people going, what's this prayer appointment thing about? Well, I'll give you a little bit. Freedom prayer is a powerful encounter. So that's a statement of faith. It's a powerful encounter between us and God that sets captives free. Freedom prayer is made up with original design prayer and stronghold prayer. And for each one of one of us, you, us, yeah, we're going to have two appointments during this course, at least two, I guess, where we can have some original design prayer and some stronghold prayer. Now, in the back of your um, folders, there's a yellow sheet in the very back page, and turn it over, yellow sheet. What's the purpose of original design prayer? So it will tell you about that in there. You don't need to read it now. I will quickly say that the purpose of original design prayer is to help us to discover, to accept, to believe who has God made us to be. It's exercising our faith in Jesus to see ourselves as God sees us. It's having a God's eye view on ourselves, a God perspective on us. And that's an incredibly powerful image. Because if, if we fix ourselves on God, and then we get caught up with the person that God's made us to be, we receive from heaven uh, a, a mandate and a call that God says, hey, look, this is who you are. This is how I've made you to be. And if we get utterly convinced of that and believe God and accept him, and we think, yeah, I want to live like that. Oh, well, but I'm not, though, am I? I'm not that. I want to be that, but, well, I've got this and that and, oh, but I don't want anyone to know about. But I want to be like that. The moment we get caught up with being the person that God wants us to be so that we can fulfill his purpose. Again, it's not about us, but it's about him getting his will and purpose fulfilled, about God wanting to work in us and through us to use us for his glory. When we get caught up with an image like that, we want to start going, hey, do you know what? I've got this stuff in my life, and I want to confess my sin, and I want to repent of it, and I want to get all this, get rid of all this grot so that I can really embrace 
God's truth, humbly accept it, and then live a life of freedom. So, original design prayer is, is like, it's not a one-time thing, okay? So if you get original prayer design tonight, great, and another day. But do you know what? I think God is wanting to continually communicate his purpose and will for us. So it's a lifestyle that we're looking at, not a course, okay? So, this is how God sees me. This is how God designed me. This is who God made me to be for his purpose. Right, I want that. I want it. And then, so stronghold prayer is to help us to discover, well, what is stopping me from living in that original design? What are the lies that I believe about myself? And what are the spiritual forces of evil that are coming against me, that are trying to twist God's word in my life? And what's oppressing me? And actually, what sin is dominating and controlling my life? Some people say to me, I don't like the way you use that word dominating and controlling. It doesn't control or dominate me. It's just that. Well, it sounds very much to me like you're dominated and controlled by that. No, 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 no. Well, we need help. And the thing is this, we cannot convince one another. This has all got to be by the revelation of God. We've got to be convinced that this is what God is saying to us, not what someone else is saying, you know, but really going, yeah, I discern, I believe this is the word of God. I accept it. I'm going to put it into action. So then what stronghold prayer does when we get to it, but it won't be for a a number of weeks yet, um, it gives us a framework to help us through a process to submit and surrender ourselves to God and overcome evil. So, again, that's the, uh, that's the, I think it's the orange sheet in the back. Orange, orange. Okay. So, freedom prayer is this. It is a divine, godly transaction, a legal transfer taking place in the spiritual realm through our repentance and through our forgiveness, through our rebuking evil, and then... Satan's hold is not on us anymore and then we've got freedom to live in authority and the fullness of who we are in Christ Jesus by faith in Jesus. So one of the things that we are going to do on Living Free is, is to soak ourselves in truth. And uh, there's in your notes there, there's lots of different Bible verses and passages And it's up to you whether you want to go through them, read them, think about them, meditate on them, and allow the truth to soak into you and get it into you and get it into you and get it into you. Because I want to say this, that the lies you believe, I don't think you heard them yesterday. And I don't think you heard them last week. I think the the lies that are really entrenched in your life have been there for a very long time. And so we need to get God's truth into us to bring about this transformation and change. So the truth um, that we really want to get into us and soak into us this evening is God made you special or God made me special. God made us special and he loves us very much. The thing is about knowing things. See, 
maybe most of you, what, what I'm going to say tonight, you already know it. You've been there, you've seen it, you've done it, you've got the T-shirt, you've watched the film, you've heard 97 sermons on it, and you know it. And yet, there rises up within me this thing that says, can I debate that with you? Do you really know it? I mean, know it. Have you got a surface intellectual understanding? You can quote it, you can talk about it, but has it really sunk in? Is it really holding your life together? Is it like firmly embedded nails holding you together? Or is it just something you go, yeah, I know that. See, my prayer is that I, because I'm thinking about me, I'm sorry about that, and us, will have a deep emotional, spiritual, physical, mental experience of the love of God. So if I say that God loves you, I'm sure most of you know that. But if I say God loves you, I doubt that any of us know it. God is a good, loving, perfect father. The Bible speaks about God being a father to us. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven. A big part of the way that God wants to communicate, express his love to us and for us is through his Father's heart for us. Now, because we've all had experience of fathers, we've all related to natural fathers in one way or another, no matter how good they've been, they will never match up to God's perfect parental love for us. But many fathers have been not there. They've been absent or they've been there but maybe wished they weren't there. They've been poor fathers. So it can make us find it incredibly difficult to receive God's love as father. Now, God is a God is a, a good God. He's a good father. And, uh, you know, I want my girls more than anything to know that I love them. And so I try different ways to convince them that I love them. And if I had some person coming around our house every week, sticking his oar in, going, no, not really, and spoiling it, I'd be really angry. And I reckon that God is really angry. Because there's the scheme that's come and twisted things and made what should have modelled brought the image of God to one another. What, what should have manifested the presence and love of Father God to us hasn't been there. I reckon that he's mad about that. Not mad at us, but mad for us because he wanted it so much better for us. So we've been robbed. We've been sold short. We've missed out. But God really wants us to know that he loves us. Because our life um, experiences heavily influence and shape us, don't they? They shape our views and our opinions. They shape our views and opinions of our Heavenly Father. And therefore, our growth as a disciple of Jesus. Because if we've experienced a mean, moody father who wants to beat us... Sorry about that, Jem. It's my daughter. Um, guess what we're going to think God's like? And it's really difficult to shake that out of us. If we've experienced the time, the present, the fun, the provision, the protection, the wise advice, the bearing with, the clear set boundaries for us, the truth spoken to us in love 
by a natural earthly father, it will help us to experience our heavenly father's love. But, but they still are not perfect. And if our natural father was absent, not good to us, so on, we can live in hurt, can't we? We can just be one big ball of pain and hurt. We can feel stuck. We can have major problems relating to God as father. So I wanted to speak the truth that God is an amazing parent. He's the best parent that we could ever ask for. And he wants to set us free to bring healing into our lives, to help us in our lives. And so we need truth encounters with him. So let's soak in God's truth. Let's meditate on God's truth. So one of the truths we've got in the notes is this, that through Jesus, we are God's children. So we believe in Jesus. The Bible says that we're born again by the Spirit of God, that we become a new creation. We join a new family. We've got new brothers and sisters, and we've got new parents. We've got a Father God who loves us. He's adopted us. Now, I know a little bit about adoption, only a little bit. Uh, I've got friends that have adopted. I know a number of people have adopted. But then we've got some really close family friends that, that adopted um, some children, and we were part of the journey with them. We, um, we helped them like, make a scrapbook of their family to present to the, to the child. Look, this is who we are. This is what we like. And so what, we, what we've seen is we've seen some struggle, but we've seen some success. We've seen little kids that were, were, were without a mum, without a dad, without a family, been adopted. That means they've been chosen. That means they felt special. It means they felt loved. They've been saved and rescued. Their, their future is so much better now than it would ever have been. They've received healing in their life. Physical, spiritual, mental, emotional healing. They've been rescued. They have been rescued. I look at the kids and they're amazing. I just think, you have been rescued. And then I think that is just a tiny picture of what God has done for us. God has lavished his love upon us, that we should be called his children. That is what we are. The truth is, you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God, that you, you have been adopted, adopted by God. Uh, Ephesians 1.5 says this in the message, Long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planning this. And I know for my friends that have adopted, what a pleasure they took in going through all the hoops and all the paperwork and all the, because they knew at the end they would have their child who they loved. God has gone through it all. He says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame. For the joy set before him, what could that possibly be? Us. Us. God loves us. God loves us. So we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are a royal priesthood. We are royal children. And as sons and daughters... God wants us to live lives out of a place of rest, of rest in him, a place of security, knowing, knowing, not just that knowing, 
knowing, knowing that we are loved and we are chosen. Knowing that we are significant and that we are valuable. Knowing that in him we are rich. That means we are provided for. It means that we've got heavenly fridge rights. It means that we can go into heaven and, and take what we want. Because God says, I'm a loving father and everything I have is yours. You can come in and make yourself at home with me, says God, because you're my children. You're my children. It's, I'm perfectly happy. Well, I'm perfectly happy to go around a few people's houses actually and do this. But I'm perfectly happy to go around my parents' house and go into their fridge and get myself a drink or make myself a tea or make myself a coffee. I'm not thinking, oh, no. Oh, excuse me, could I have a tea or coffee, please? Or could I make it myself? Or They'd be shocked if I spoke like that anyway. But we can go and approach the amazing God of the universe and call him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. He wants us to live from rest and security, so that means we can be incredibly hopeful, that we can have a hopeful disposition about life. We have a great hope. We have a future glory. We have a hope for all eternity. We have a hope for today. That we can be at peace. It, we, that we are holy. That we are free from every accusation. We are free in Christ from every blemish. That we, we're just pure and holy and different. That God calls us to be a different sort of people. But God says, be perfect like I'm perfect. That's quite a challenge if you have to do it yourself in your own strength and in your own power. But when you just receive perfection as a gift, whoa. That we are full of joy, that in his presence there is the fullness of joy. In his presence we are protected. That sons and daughters of God from that place of rest be obedient and partners to rule. That God wants us to live on the earth with authority, having authority, just as Adam and Eve, they were given authority to rule, they gave it away. God's saying, look, I want you to make a difference in this world. So, we can't earn his love. It's just given to us as a gift. So God is our heavenly father, and his love for you as his child knows no comparison. His banner over you, his banner over me, his banner over us is love, 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 love. But too often we are bound by the enemy's lies. We're held captive by the lies of the enemy. And so we'll go through life never truly knowing the true heart of God for us. God is a passionate God. He's a passionate Father, and he loves us. So I want you to get to know this God. Tony, should we have our video? Right, we're just going to watch a very short clip. Hopefully it will work. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage, and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, 
but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now look, we're in the hospital room, she's uh, sticky, and she's baby and all that stuff, and she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up, I start talking to her, and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby, it's okay. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up, she hears my voice, and stops crying, like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm right here, I'm right here. I am right here. I love you, I love you. I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because He is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what He wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Happy Father's Day. All you got to do is be still and listen for the Father's voice and open your eyes. It's okay, baby. I'm here. I love you. It's okay. I'm here. I love you. Our God is the God who is there. So, I would love you, me, to get to know our Heavenly Father. So there's some scriptures there um, on page six for you to um, soak in, to meditate on, to remember. That God says, it's okay, baby. I love you. I'm there. It's okay. We've got a choice to make. And I often hesitate when I use the word choice because I often get people come up to me after me going, it's not like that. It's not a choice, really. It's a choice. <laughs> Do you want to live by an orphan attitude or by a child of God attitude? An orphan mindset or a child of God mindset? See, when we live as orphans, we choose to believe the devil's lies instead of God's truth. You know, I've been talking about Father God, but the Bible says that the devil is a father too. That he's a father of lies. So Satan's plan is to, to rob us, to rob us of our identity, of who we are in Christ, who we are as a son and daughter 
of God. We, we're tempted by our own ways to just be disobedient and rebel against God because we think there's a better way or a better thing or we're not quite sure if it will really work. And I've been so used to this thing working and easing a bit of my pain that I'll keep using it, thank you very much, whatever it, whatever it is for you is. I'll just use this. I'll self-medicate with this thing, whatever it is, just to dull the pain because I'm desperate for a daddy loves me, really loves me, and yet I'm not sure. Is it, is it, is it really that good? And so we let ourselves believe we are insignificant and without value and we disbelieve God. We don't believe him that he truly loves us, that he's truly good and that he's truly kind. You know, we can have such a warped theology of God because of life's circumstance. We need to discover who God really is as a father to us. So what are the symptoms of an orphan attitude? Can you recognise any of these in your life? So living as an orphan, it's living out of restlessness. So you're not, a, you're not at rest, you're not at peace. There's this striving because you want to find security and you want to find meaning. So you're always trying to get there or you're always giving up or probably a bit of both going from one to the other, being pulled about. See, we want to be loved and we want to be chosen. We want to be significant and we want to be valued. We want to be provided for. We want to be full of hope. We want to be uh, different and joyful and protected. And so we make every effort to try and make that happen. And so we're, we're constantly scrambling and going here and going there and getting it, but not really getting it, and just thinking, ah. See, sons and daughters of God are different from orphans. They're different. They're really different. So, orphans, rather than feeling loved and chosen, they feel they're unwanted. They suffer rejection. They feel like everyone rejects me. When I make an effort, no one wants to know me, so I'm utterly convinced that I'm unwanted, that I am unloved and I am unlovable. How could anybody possibly truly want me? We want the significance and the value, but we feel insignificant. We don't feel very valuable. In fact, very often we just feel rubbish. We rubbish ourselves. We are unkind to ourselves. We beat ourselves up. Because we feel insignificant, we're living like an orphan. You know, we want the provision of God, but we're constantly aware of what we haven't got. Poor, we're just poor. Well, we're just poor me. Poor me. It's poor me. It's all about me, and I feel so poor. And That's my lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's my lot. Poor me. And we fall into hopelessness. We're into despair that rather than being hopeful, we're just like, it's never going to change. It's never going to be different. It's always going to be like this. Same old, same old. History is just going to repeat itself. It's always going to be like this. It's never going to be any different. And so, can you, can you, I'm meditating. 
See, I've asked you to meditate on Scripture. If you can moan and groan about yourself, if you can have a go at yourself, if you can bombard yourself with hate, guess what? You've got the ability to meditate on God's truth for you as well. We feel guilt. See, we want to have joy in his presence. We, we know, we experience, we taste, we, we know that God is good. Just remembering, I'm talking to the church of Jesus. Of course, none of this applies to us. Silly me. But we know, we know he's there. We know he accepts us. He, we know he forgives us. And yet, our guilt and our shame keep us in isolation. Our guilt and shame keep us from coming to him. We're living like orphans. Royal children have no problem. They just, I've done something wrong, I repent of that, move on. You know, we want to feel safe and protected, but actually we feel very unsafe. Fear dominates and controls our life. We feel like a victim. It's going to happen to me. This is going to happen, or that's going to happen, or I can't do that because this, or they might say this, or that might happen, or I don't know what way you turn it, but fear... Fear is a dominating and controlling evil master that, that touches too many of our lives. Too many of us live by fear and listen to fear and let fear control us and dominate us. God is not happy. That is an understatement about that. We, we want to be holy and at peace and yet we feel broken and fragmented. We feel in utter turmoil. We're all over the place. And God wants us to be at peace, whole, safe, secure. Sons and daughters walk with their father. Orphans work for God. And so what we can do in the church is really good at, at entertaining the orphan spirit, if you like, because it works really hard. It serves really hard. You know, you'd probably get some really good church leaders with an orphan spirit because they're just banging away doing all the work because they want to get their worth and their value and their security and their love from people who go, oh, aren't you brilliant? Great. (gasps) People please us, not God please us. And it does us in. You know, and church is the place where we say, hey, who wants to volunteer? Who wants to get involved in this? Who wants to serve here? Serving's really good. I don't want to give it a bad name. But if we serve as an orphan, we get bitter, we get resentful, we get complaining, we get moaning. Why do I have to do this? No one else is doing this and it's all about me. Oh, not again. It's all about me. See, Jesus served. God Almighty come to earth, little itty-bitty living space, a human body. He was God Almighty. He was there. And then one day, he took off his outer garments and he washed his disciples' feet. And the Bible says in John 3, 3, 13, 3, says something like this, that Jesus knew he'd come from God and Jesus knew he was going to God. So he a royal son, was really happy and willing to serve. He knew who he was. His identity was in his father, and so he could serve. And it was good, and it changed everything. He taught them how to live. 
See, orphans can serve because they want to please someone or because they want recognition. Notice me, notice me. Can you see what I did there? Now, of course, we don't walk around saying that, but we think it, don't we? I just want people to recognize me. I want people to know me. I want people to love me. I want people to appreciate me. And so, so I'll think we need to live for the audience of one. That when we're living for our Father, when we're living not striving to please him, but resting in his love and just going, I get to do this. What? You've made me to do that? Excellent. Then we can serve and do the things that he's made us to do with great joy and delight because we get to do it. We don't have to do it. So in an orphan state, we can live as servants or slaves, not sons and daughters of the king. So remember the older son in John 15, he says, I've slayed for you and you've never given me. Hang about. You're my son, I love you. You're, you're, you've always been with me. Everything I've ha- I have is yours. See, God the Father is going, yeah, I love you. Everything I have is yours. Why are you living like that? Why are you running away from my love? Why are you striving for my love? It's here for you. So we can reject the sacrifice of our Saviour. We can reject the love of a gracious, forgiving Father because we're caught up in ourselves. But when we understand, when we get the Father's love for us and live in it, we can begin to operate as children of God not just products of our natural parents or the circumstances in which we were born and brought up in, but children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Awesome. What I'd like you to do now is just shut your eyes for a moment. So I'm not going to do anything freaky. I just want you to use your imaginations. So I said we had a choice. And uh, I've painted a bleak picture there. What I want you to do now is imagine a very different picture. So you're not choosing to live as an orphan in this moment. You are choosing to live as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So choosing to live like a son, a daughter of God, is, means this. Being safe in your father's arms. I want you to imagine yourself seated on on God your Father's lap. Imagine his arms around you. Imagine being at one with your Father and Jesus. Imagine being at peace, the most perfect peace you could ever imagine. I want you to imagine how protected you feel in this moment. How safe, how secure. I want you to imagine how forgiven and clean and free you feel in his arms of love. I want you to imagine that Father whispers in your ear, some plans that he's got for you, some purpose that he's got for you. He says something special to you 
and only to you. Imagine him just telling you, speaking your language, to let you know how valuable and special you are to him. So I want you to imagine him somehow pouring his love into you. Just, that you're just filled with the fullness of God's love for you. And as he shares with you what he wants you to do, you just that yes, yes, I want to do that, Lord. I want to be obedient to you. Knowing that you're not striving, but that you're in him and you're just being fruitful because you're connected to him. And one with him. I hope that feels wonderful to you. It's a wonderful thing and it's a true thing. You are no longer an orphan or a slave, a slave to fear, no more. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. And so the journey into the Father's goodness and love is a lifelong journey. It's not just now. We, we need to journey into this because the depths of his goodness and love are far greater and bigger than we can ever experience in one evening. So above all, this is a, a journey of, of experience of the heart perfect Father's love for us and Jesus is committed to leading us all the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your words of truth. We pray that you would continue the good work that you've started in each and every one of us and that you would, you would help us to be convinced by you of your goodness and of your love. And we pray, Lord, that we would experience more and more that place of resting in your arms of love for your glory, for your purpose, for your delight, for your pleasure, as well as ours. In Jesus' name, amen.